Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I love them. I love each and every one of them, you know. They've, they've given me so much. So... It's really my thank you to them. One of the big debates in journalism for as long as I've been around has been about the role of the reporter. The question's been, should you be neutral, standoffish, looking at things from a distance, or engaged and committed? Should you actually be part of the arguments and the action? I'm Kerry Thomas, one of the editors here at Tortoise, and for me this week that debate in my head didn't last long. Basher's away, I've got my fingers crossed that she'll be back soon, and we're making a slow newscast about J.K. Rowling and her intervention in the hornet's nest of a row about trans rights and women's rights. It's a really hard row to summarise, but at the heart of it, I guess, is the question of whether granting more rights to trans people undermines women's rights. In case it needs to be said... I haven't been directly involved in the row. I'm definitely an observer here. But like a lot of people in this country, I've been fascinated watching the arguments play out. This is a debate which has taken on a really particular flavour in the UK, and it just hasn't in most other countries. I'm hoping, I guess in a sense I have to hope, that not being involved might actually help, might help me answer some important questions which I haven't been able to figure out before. It's always puzzled me. Why is this the issue which has split progressives in Britain? I can't see anything else which has done that in quite the same way. Why is this the question which seems to have set feminists of different generations against each other? One person more than any other has helped me see things more clearly. One of the most famous women in the world, J.K. Rowling. The odd thing is, I'm not sure she entirely meant to. The story begins with some tweets, but it doesn't end with them. It becomes a tale about trust and power, and most of all, I think, about unfinished business. The unfinished business of women's equality in tackling male violence, and the unfulfilled promise of more rights for trans people. I'm lucky to have had a lot of help with this. My colleague Hattie Garlick has spent months trying to piece this story together, and her reporting is the backbone of this podcast. With Hattie's help, what's become clear to me is that this story is more than just a case of a celebrity sounding off. It really is a way of getting to grips with this whole bitterly fought-over issue. There's a lot at stake for J.K. Rowling. The journey ahead will reveal what you stand for. The journey we're talking about began in June. 
And quite quickly, it became a battle about J.K. Rowling's reputation, her fan base, her business empire, and the debate about women's rights and trans rights. The choices you make now will define the legacy of Hogwarts. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher, in an app, online, in our daily Sensemaker email and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news, and we'd love you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download the Tortoise app, now available in the iOS or Google Play Store, and take a free trial. So let's get into it. Here's Hattie. If you think lockdown was only fractionally easing, and then George Floyd's tragic death was provoking protest... It was also, in fact, LGBT month, so lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender. That's four weeks set aside annually to commemorate the Stonewall riots. And in the midst of all this, JK Rowling sends out a tweet to her 14 million followers, highlighting an article on a pretty niche site called DevX. It's a media platform for the global development community. Anyway, it's about menstrual products, and she questions its use of the phrase people who menstruate. She tweets, I'm sure there used to be a word for these people. Someone help me out. Wumbun, wimpund, woomud. Anyway, so the tweet itself is retweeted 45,000 times. It's commented on 31,000 times, but... More interestingly, it sets off a chain of reactions with a seismic effect offline as well. And it all focuses on the trans community. As Hattie says, JK Rowling has got 14 million followers on Twitter. So maybe it didn't tell us all that much that she got thousands of retweets and likes for that post. The fact is, she can tweet about the pictures in the Ichabog and get quite a few thousand likes. So at this stage, if she'd really wanted to avoid getting into a huge row, then I suspect she could have let it all drift away. But people had started to notice and the arguments were kicking off because some of them immediately saw that June the 6th tweet not simply as a defence by J.K. Rowling of the right to say straightforwardly women instead of people who menstruate, but actually as an attack on trans people. So there's one tweet issued in response to J.K. Rowling's one, which I think articulates it pretty well. And this person has written, I know you know this because you've been told over and over and over again, but transgender men can menstruate. Non-binary people menstruate. I, a 37-year-old woman with a uterus, have not menstruated in a decade. Women are not defined by their periods. Hundreds of people weighed in. This wasn't J.K. Rowling's first controversial tweet on the subject, and that goes some way, I think, to explaining why. And the reason they're claiming she continues to align herself is because back in December, Rowling had tweeted something else that caused offence. I don't know if you remember, but Maya Forstatter is a tax expert whose contract at the think tank Centre for Global Development went unrenewed. 
because she tweeted that transgender women can't change their biological sex. She took her case to a tribunal and lost, at which point Rowling tweeted, Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. Hashtag I stand with Maya. Hashtag this is not a drill. And so half a year on from that last tweet, we're back. But this time, JK Rowling is not stopping. So I think there is also another clear reason this controversy didn't die out, and that's because Rowling just didn't step away from it. After that, in the sixth tweet, she followed it up with a series more, insisting, among other things, that if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, she tweets, But erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. On June the 10th, Rowling published a 3,600-word essay, further elaborating on her stance. And then, of course, in September, her new book, Troubled Blood, was published. And there followed a fresh storm of accusations of transphobia because the book features a murderer who sometimes uses women's clothes as part of his disguise. So now we're really off and running. We aren't just dealing with a few tweets. We've got a whole 3,600-word position statement from J.K. Rowling, which means that if anybody wants to pick a fight with her about her views on trans rights, women-only spaces, what you need to prove in order to transition from one gender to another, they've basically got all they need to keep that fight going forever. That essay, that blog, is such an important piece of evidence in this story that we're going to come back to it and dig deeper into it. But before we do that... There's something else I want to try to understand, which is how this huge row has affected or could affect the business of Harry Potter, because it's quite a business. It's really striking, if you look at J.K. Rowling's Twitter feed, that it's a very incongruous mix of thank yous to children, promotional stuff about her latest thing, whatever that is, and then this massive argument with the trans community. Most really successful book, movie and game franchises, and that's what J.K. Rowling sits on top of, just wouldn't do that. They'd run a mile from any sort of controversy. So it didn't take long for J.K. Rowling's opponents to see the businesses she's involved in as a pressure point, and also for the ripples from this controversy to start flowing through them. And there are quite a few high-profile companies involved. So... Bloomsbury published The Philosopher's Stone in the UK in 1997, cast your mind back. Rowling sold the film adaptation rights for Harry Potter to Warner Brothers two years later, and then everything changed extraordinarily quickly. Universal acquired theme park rights in 2007. Then there's the incredibly long stage play, Cursed Child, which follows in 2016, And that was the same year, too, that the prequel films, Fantastic Beasts, were first launched. It's become a huge franchise. And of course, there's also this idea that she's the saviour of children, in a way, because a lot of people tend to quote this idea that Harry Potter sparked a generation of young people becoming readers. That's Cassie Brummett. She wrote her PhD on the development of the Harry Potter franchise. So these products, these texts have essentially changed, I would argue, 
every single industry that they've been in. So the Harry Potter books changed children's publishing. The Harry Potter books were not like other children's books at the time, but they completely rejuvenated um, what was considered to be a struggling industry. So Harry Potter is, in some ways, the most culturally influential franchise that's ever existed. Influential and lucrative. It's exactly the sort of situation which gives big corporations the shivers. There are hundreds of millions of pounds literally riding on it. There's a very public row brewing between the author who laid the golden egg and trans rights campaigners, and everyone is shouting at the companies, whose side are you on? Each of them has issued a statement in response, each painfully carefully crafted, reiterating their commitment to diversity and inclusivity, or actually, in Warner Brothers' words, inclusiveness, while not distancing themselves from this woman who, after all, was and remains totally instrumental in their fortunes. So in the aftermath, back in June, the publisher Hachette had to quell a mutiny when a group of its employees objected to working on Rowling's new children's story, The Ichabog. And then shortly afterwards, a group of authors actually resigned from the Blair Partnership, that's, um, that's Rowling's literary agency, over its response to the controversy. And then just days after that, Bloomberg was reporting that developers working on a new Potter video game were uncomfortable with her comments as well. And in fact, when Warner Brothers released an FAQ about that game, it's called Hogwarts Legacy, it stated that J.K. Rowling is not directly involved in the creation of the game. As Cassie Brummett puts it, it's quite the turnaround in these franchises' relationship with J.K. Rowling. To think where the Harry Potter franchise came from, which was completely predicated on J.K. Rowling's influence, and now Warner Brothers is having to do damage limitation. So there's no doubt that businesses have had to react quickly to the row. But Hattie's conclusion after she talked to a whole load of people involved was that it might cause them a headache, but it won't hurt them where it matters most. I had conversations with a couple of executives who gave me a real sense that this recent controversy isn't going to have any real or lasting effect on the future of the franchise. not buying anything that's official. I'm not going to the theme parks. I'm not going to see films. I'm not going to buy new books. If I have to, if I want to read the books, I'm going to get them from the library, borrow them from a friend, you buy secondhand, whatever. But the Harry Potter machine, the Wizarding World machine is very large. That's Kat Miller. She's the creative and marketing director at a website called MuggleNet. It's a really popular place for Potterheads. Now, if you're my age, you know the Harry Potter books, of course, but maybe you don't really know what they mean to younger readers. You have to appreciate that they've been read as great, long pleas for tolerance, for living comfortably with difference. And that's why people like Cat are so upset. So when something like this happens, when somebody who for so long, so many people have looked up to and revered and, you know, called their queen, for goodness sake comes out and says something that is so incredibly hurtful to so many people and is just unapologetic about it, you rally together. And, I mean, we are, I feel like, this generation, you know, the the millennials and the Gen Zs are, we're not going to put up with that BS anymore. You know, we're, we're done. The world that we have been left is 
mostly trash and we're we're done. We're not going to stand up. We're not going to we're not going to take it anymore. Nothing's ever completely black and white in an argument as complicated as this. But I'll stick my neck out on one thing. J.K. Rowling's fans are mostly young, and so are her opponents and critics. Her friends and her supporters are mostly older. That takes us back to one of my original questions. Why is this the argument that's created a generational divide which no one so far seems to have found a way to bridge? I talked to a couple of friends last week, and... Both of them wondered if the generational divide isn't the sort of great cultural gulf it can sometimes appear with younger women on one side of it brought up to be more comfortable with identity and identity politics, so much as it's about the different life experiences of women of different ages. The idea those friends put to me is that if you look at what feminism and equality for women were supposed to deliver... One of the big pieces of economic unfinished business is what happens to women's careers after they've had children. As younger women, my friend said, they could look around the places they worked and they looked equal. The women were doing as well as their male colleagues and actually better quite a lot of the time. But then came children and suddenly the trajectories of men's and women's careers headed off in different directions. Okay, listen to this. If you're a female boss, you're likely to earn, on average, around £12,000 less than your male colleagues. That's according to research. Now, that's not just an anecdote. It's broadly true. Figures also show that the gender pay gap is actually worse for bosses than the rest of us. And for my friends, it meant that if you wanted to have children and you wanted a career, biology still usually tipped the scales in favour of men. Now, of course, there are always exceptions. There are loads of different ways of having and raising children, but for a lot of women, the evidence is that the push for women's equality has done many things, but it hasn't yet overcome biology as an important factor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...in their lives and their careers. I'm floating this cautiously because, after all, it's not my theory. But perhaps something in that argument does help explain why, in the row over trans rights, basically what it is to be a woman, as a rule, older women seem more focused on sex and biology and younger women more on gender and identity. And that's definitely the heart of the row about women's rights and trans rights. The row 
that J.K. Rowling waded into. Either way, that's one piece of unfinished business. Feminism and 57 varieties of equality legislation haven't equalised the effect on men and women of having and raising children. And meanwhile, people on the other side of the argument, the campaign, the movement for rights for trans people, had a big piece of unfinished business of their own. So Scotland launched its consultation on GRA reform earlier than Westminster did. Because unlike Westminster, which announced at the end of last month that England and Wales won't move towards a self-ID system, that means dropping the need for a medical diagnosis, Scotland still hasn't reached a conclusion because instead it wobbled, launched a second consultation and then postponed its conclusions to focus on the pandemic. What all that meant practically was making it easier for trans people to get legal recognition of their gender. You wouldn't have to go through surgery or hormone treatment to formally transition to a new gender, as you would have done a long time ago. You wouldn't need a psychological assessment as you do now. You'd have to meet a bunch of legal requirements, but it wouldn't be a medical process any longer. The World Health Organization thinks that's right, by the way. That's self-identification, and that was the unfinished business trans activists in the UK were focused on. They had every reason to think it was coming. It had happened in Ireland without any big controversy, and it didn't seem to have caused any problems there. And the governments in London and Edinburgh seemed to be heading in the same direction. But now, suddenly, there was real opposition. J.K. Rowling was one of the leaders of it, and her tweets and her blog looked like a carefully timed attempt to throw a major spanner in the works. Now, you can actually map Rowling's statements about trans issues almost directly onto the milestones in Scottish GRA reform. So in her essay, she says that her interest predated Maya's case, that's Maya Forstatter's case, by almost two years. So that would place us in 2017 when that first consultation kicked off. The second consultation launched in December last year, two days before her tweet about Forstatter. One of the things you have to remember about J.K. Rowling is that her public image as deeply private, almost reclusive, isn't the full story. She's actually got a long track record of very carefully targeted interventions in big political issues. She supported Gordon Brown when he was having difficulties as Labour leader. She came out against Scottish independence just before the referendum in 2014. Basically, she makes a splash when she wants to. And then on June the 2nd this year, just a few days before her People Who Menstruate tweet, Scotland published statutory guidance on the Gender Representation in Public Boards Act. Now, that sounds really dry and I appreciate to an extent it is. But what that act did was to set an objective that 50% of a board's non-exec members should be women. Sounds pretty uncontroversial for a feminist like Rowling. But it was the definition of woman that rankled some women's groups because it didn't require trans women to have had surgery or, and I quote, dress, look or behave in any particular way in order to qualify. For people who are in favour of self-identification, JK Rowling has got this badly wrong. Here's Finn Mackay, who's a senior lecturer in sociology at a university in Bristol. So it was widely suggested and it was received by many people as saying there would be a legal change, which meant that 
somebody, a man or a woman, could wake up in the morning, decide that they wanted to be the other sex to that which they were born, go online, fill in a form online. All his legal identification and paperwork will change overnight to say F on them instead of M. He could then go out and use that the next day to get access to a women-only changing room, commit acts of voyeurism and abuse and abuse against those women. And if he was challenged, could simply say, oh, actually, I identify as a woman. I've filled in the form. Then he could go home that night, fill in the form again and change back. That seems to be how a lot of people have received suggestions to change the, the process of the Gender Recognition Act. Now, that was never suggested. And in countries where they have taken away some of the reliance on medical criteria and on anonymous panels that recognise or don't recognise your gender, it is still a legal process. Nowhere has it happened that someone can change their sexed marker and all their official documents at a whim and then change it back again the next day. It's still a legal and witness process, often in the form of a statutory declaration. You sign up to it for all intents and purposes. This change will apply for life. And you have to sign up that you understand if you use it for nefarious means, that is fraudulent. It's a fraudulent use of the process. It was never going to be some sort of gender free for all. And yet you have groups like the LGB Alliance taking out full page adverts in Scottish newspapers, for example, saying it's a gender free for all and it will give a green light to predators. So as I promised, let's go back to Exhibit A in the case of J.K. Rowling and trans rights, that 3,600-word essay she published in June. It doesn't just tell us a lot about J.K. Rowling's thoughts on the issues. It tells us a lot about J.K. Rowling herself. So private, so controlled, usually. And I think Rowling's stream of tweets and, and that eventual essay are really the polar opposite of that, aren't they? You know, they're written and published in a state that Rowling herself in the essay describes as triggered. They're talking about domestic abuse and sexual assault for the first time. And they're totally unmediated. They're controversial and they're authentic. The thing I found inescapable reading that essay is that the business of being a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual abuse is never really finished, certainly not for J.K. Rowling. She says it herself, the scars left by violence and sexual assault don't disappear, no matter how loved you are, no matter how much money you've made. It's striking that in the essay, J.K. Rowling gives five reasons for worrying about what she calls the new trans activism, and three of them are about the danger of violence being done to women and girls. She's still jumpy because of what she's been through, she says. It's a family joke, she says. She hates sudden bangs or people coming up behind her when she hasn't seen them. Her husband now, Neil Murray, has spoken about her tendency in a crisis to trust only herself. You, um... She will detach herself. When she becomes very stressed, she'll detach herself and only trust one person, and that's herself. Um, so everyone else gets blocked out, um, and she becomes more and more stressed um, and less and less able to accept any help. So that's presumably quite stressful for you. Well, it is stressful. Um, 
basically the, the barriers go up and it's, it's not just me but it's everyone else around her. Only one person, well only one person is trusted and she's got to do everything herself despite the fact that you know it's not possible to do everything herself. So if the terrifying figure of the predatory man colours J.K. Rowling's thoughts and completely colours that essay, we've got to understand that, surely. The questions are about where she takes that argument. The three examples J.K. Rowling gives of how trans activism could make women and girls less safe are by damaging the charity she set up for survivors of domestic and sexual abuse, by undermining the safeguarding of children, and by putting natal women and girls in danger in single-sex spaces. The fourth reason she gives is freedom of speech, and the fifth, which I think really does have the power to offend campaigners for trans rights, is that too many young women are questioning their gender identity because they got swept up in a kind of hysteria and had their heads turned by peers. There are echoes there of very old debates about kids being turned gay. All the way through the essay, J.K. Rowling tries to stand on this knife edge between the risks posed by trans campaigners and the vulnerability of trans people. And she writes that, I believe the majority of trans-identified people not only pose zero threat to others, but are vulnerable. Trans people need and deserve protection. Like women, they're most likely to be killed by sexual partners. So I want trans women to be safe. At the same time, I do not want to make natal girls and women less safe. When you throw open the doors of bathrooms and changing rooms to any man who believes or feels he's a woman, and, as I've said, gender confirmation certificates may now be granted without any need for surgery or hormones, then you open the door to any and all men who wish to come inside. That's the simple truth. As we heard from Finn Mackay, it's not really that simple. And there's another question. If, as J.K. Rowling puts it, any man who feels he's a woman can go into a bathroom or changing room, or to put it another way, trans women who've had no surgery or hormone therapy are allowed in women-only spaces, what happens when they get there? My name is Aaron DeVore. I have a position at the University of Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. That position is called Chair in Transgender Studies. Uh, it was, when it was established, it was the first coin in the world. I'm Hattie got hold of Aaron DeVore. Aaron is a sociology professor who researches transgender issues at the University of Victoria in Canada. And, by the way, he's trans himself. To insist that trans women go and use um, change rooms, bathrooms, prisons and other such spaces that are often segregated by sex, uh, to put them into spaces that are designated for men uh, almost guarantees that they will be attacked by men in those spaces violently attacked and there is lots of evidence that that's what happens so is, is there evidence of um, cisgender women being harmed in women's washrooms and the evidence is that to the extent that that happens which is has always happened to some degree and has always been rare uh, what we see is it's not transgender people who are doing that it is heterosexual male predators who are finding a way to get into that space and then attacking women. And it is um, almost unheard of. Uh, I can't say definitively unheard of because I don't know of every case, everywhere, every time, but it is almost unheard of that the way that those heterosexual male predators gain access to space is by dressing themselves up as women. They don't do that. 
right? Uh, so the people who will be uh, endangered by refusing access to trans people are the trans people, not cisgender people. When the first book came out, thought this is a book that will appeal to boys, but they didn't want the boys to know a woman had written it. So they said to me, could we uh, use your initials? And I said, fine. Joe Kathleen. Joanne Kathleen. And fooled yeah. the boys for a while. Yeah, not for too long. Not for too long. Yeah, because I started giving my picture in the press and no one could pretend I was a man anymore. Yes, and I don't think the boys have minded. No, it hasn't helped me back, has it? It's clearly not helped me back. <laughs> not a bit. There's J.K. Rowling again, proving, ironically, that it is complicated. So why do I think at the end of all this that her intervention has helped me understand the arguments about women's rights and trans rights better than before? Well, let's go through it carefully. It is, for me, all about that sense of unfinished business, personally and on both sides of the argument. For the trans rights campaign, self-identification is a huge thing. And in the UK, they thought they were on a conveyor belt towards it. There was really no reason for them not to think that, It had happened in other countries and there hadn't really been any big issues. Then, from that perspective, along came an almost untouchably rich and powerful woman with a huge platform and in a very political and deliberate way, she tried to stop the conveyor belt in its tracks. I guess that was bound to cause a real problem. From the other side, from the women's rights point of view, I think there's something in that idea of unfinished business too. To an extent, it's obvious. The women's equality project is incomplete in lots of ways. Maybe children and careers make older women more acutely aware of it than younger ones. And perhaps that explains why there's such a strong reaction if it looks as if other people are trying to move the rights argument on. Or if women are convinced that more rights for trans people will undermine women's rights. But in the end, there's no way round her. J.K. Rowling sits right at the heart of this. In that blog, she laid herself bare. She went out of her way to remind us how vulnerable she is in spite of everything. The never-ending, unfinished business of the sexual violence and domestic abuse she suffered seems to frame her worldview almost completely. You have to be sympathetic to what she's gone through, and it really does help you understand where she's coming from. She worries that there's what she calls a political project to erase women and girls as a category, and it's a fascinating philosophical point. But up against it, she puts up a series of very practical challenges. Above all, she says, if transgender women are allowed to self-ID, women and girls will be in physical danger in places like changing rooms and toilets. And on that, it's hard, actually, I think it's impossible, to find the evidence to agree with her. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I think there's a good chance you'll enjoy all the other journalism we do at Tortoise. Articles you can read through our app or online. And we're an open newsroom, which means there are a whole load of editorial meetings you can join in on, digitally of course, from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories we tell. 
To get our app and to get access to everything we do, just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash podtrial. That's tortoisemedia.com forward slash podtrial for a 30-day free trial. Thanks. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.